You're listening to the Grace City Boston podcast. If you would like to know more about our church, you can visit our website at gracecityboston.com or follow us on social media at Grace City Boston. Now, let's get to the sermon. Well, hey, uh, good morning. Uh, so glad to have you this morning. If I don't know you, my name is Brian Owen. I'm the lead pastor here at uh, Great City. So thanks so much for finding your way uh, here this morning. Uh, we're in a series that uh, we've entitled Alternative Community. And so if you hear that series, and, and as I'm talking to people about, they're like, that's kind of a strange series. Like, what the heck are you talking about? What does that even uh, mean to be uh, an alternative community? What basically means this, uh, it, it, it really essentially means like if you study the Bible, if you're looking at either the Old Testament or the New Testament, um, what you're going to find is God is going to, over and over again, going to be communicating to his people uh, that I want you to be a distinct community uh, in the cultural moment that you find yourself in. And so I'm going to give you, uh, in the Old Testament, it was, I'm going to, uh, my presence is going to be with you. So I'm going to go with you. I'm literally going to, my glory uh, is going to be in your, your, your midst. I'm going to give you laws like the commandments and the Torah. I'm going to give you things that if you'll live by these, you will flourish as a people and I will be glorified. He, he's saying, I want you to be a distinct alternative community um, in the, the place that you find yourself in, whether it was um, when they were in exile or when they were in the promised land. Fast forward to the New Testament, and what you have is that you have Jesus, who is through his life, death, and resurrection, giving new life. Uh, a community is now being built around the life and the teachings of Jesus. And what Jesus, a lot of his uh, teachings, and then even uh, the New Testament letters are going to be continually communicating is, okay, now that you have new life in me, now I want you to live this way. I want you to be a distinct type of community uh, living in light of the fact that you are following my life and my teachings. You're to be an alternative community. This is what I want you to be. And so we've been looking over the last few weeks, how do we, as the people of God, kind of surveying our moment, right? So we're in the West. It's 2022 in Boston, right? This is, this is where we are. If you don't know that, we should talk later. But that's, that's the current kind of cultural moment that we find ourselves in. And so how do we, in this cultural moment, with the help of the scriptures, with the help of the Holy Spirit, with being a people who are trusting Jesus, uh, how are we to now live? How are we to be different than our neighbors and people that we interact with and our friends and, and spouses and, and, and whoever we kind of are in close proximity to? How do we do that? And so we've kind of been all over the, the spectrum in terms of things that we've been talking about from, um, uh, gosh, from like politics to... Um, ideological idolatry to David looked at rest last week. We looked at careerism and, and, and how do we kind of participate in, in all of these things while at the same time um, living and responding differently. And so this morning, what we're looking at is essentially how do we be a community of emotional health in a cultural moment of rage, anxiety, and fear? How do we be a community of emotional health in a cultural moment of rage, uh, anxiety, fear, and, um, and unhealth. Now, uh, I don't have to probably tell any of you that we kind of lived in a very kind of unique and distinct moment that has been classified and categorized um, in a lot of ways uh, as, as being in the middle of a legitimate mental health kind of crisis. 
like a legitimate kind of emotional health crisis and moment. Now, I, I do want to kind of just say on the front end, I, I'm not a mental health specialist. Uh, I know some great mental health specialists. I see one. She's like my BFF. And we talk about life and everything else. Um, and, and, but that's not who I am. That's, that's not who I am. But, it, but there are some things that I think that um, the scriptures have been communicating to God's people for centuries. Uh, there are things that we can learn from historic kind of Christian faith about emotional health. Uh, and then, honestly, there's my own kind of uh, personal kind of journey and story. And so a lot of what we're going to look at this morning um, it is that. It's kind of this process and journey uh, for me uh, to emotional uh, to emotional health and how God's been doing that and how he's been. Um, it, it's like a... It's like a giant therapy session for me. So thanks for being here uh, during my therapy session. All right, so let's dive in. Uh, a couple of stats as we think about um, as we think about our cultural moment. Uh, one in five U.S. adults, and I was talking to a psychologist friend who um, psychologist friend who offices here, and we were kind of chatting, and I was like, "Hey, I'm talking about emotional health." He's not a believer. Uh, I was like, "Hey, we're ta- I'm talking about emotional health to the church." And he's like, "Oh, you guys talk about that?" And I was like, "Yes, we, we do talk about that." And I was like, "You know, Jesus was a pretty emotional guy." And and he was like, "Oh, for real? Seriously? I didn't didn't know that." And I was like, "Yes." All right. So, a um, couple of stats which we were just kind of talking through. Uh, one in five U.S. adults experience one in five of all U.S. adults experience a mental illness each a mental illness each year. Uh, one in twenty U.S. adults experience a serious mental illness each year. Uh, one in six U.S. youth. Um, age 6 to 17 experience a mental health disorder each year. Uh, suicide is the second leading cause of death among people aged 10 to 14. It's my daughter, um, 10 to 14. Uh, depression and anxiety disorders cost the global economy $1 trillion in lost productivity each year. Depression is the leading cause of disability worldwide, of, of all disability. And suicide uh, is the 12th leading cause of death um, overall in the U.S. Now, there are lots of factors that contribute to unhealthy kind of emotional responses inside of us, and we'll look at those things. But the reality is, for, for all of us within the last two years, uh, you take COVID, and COVID was like pouring gasoline on an already burning house. Like if you were in, in, uh, an unhealthy emotional individual, uh, you take COVID the last two years and everything that's kind of come along uh, with that, and it's literally like pouring gasoline on a burning house. And for a lot of you, the reality is like things just imploded. Um, Relationships imploded. Your inner life was a mess. Uh, Maybe your inner life is still a mess and you're just trying to figure out how to pick up the pieces. Some of you know and recognize the fact that we're in a unique moment uh, simply because you've tried to get with a counselor and they're like, yeah, I would love to, you know, would love to see you. I've got an opening March 5th, 2024. Uh, and you're like, would you like that opening? Like, yes, go ahead and put me down for March 5th, 2024. I'll see if I can get an earlier appointment with someone else, but I would love to go ahead and save that spot for myself. They're just backed up. Why? Why is that? It's because everyone is recognizing that we, that we have a tremendous amount of emotional unhealth um, underneath the surface of everything 
um, that is going on. We see it in kind of pop culture uh, from shows like WandaVision, if you've ever seen that show, is, is highlighting incredible, you should watch, if you, you should just watch it. If you're like, I don't care about superhero stuff, just watch it, it's incredible. Um, from, from WandaVision all the way to kind of the latest show, um, which is a, a show called Severance. Uh, all of these shows, if you have, I'll say this, my wife hates that I say this, but I'm, she's not here so I can say it. Um, the, the season finale of Severance is the single greatest season finale I've ever seen in my entire life. Let me walk you through it. So I'm just kidding. I won't do that. All right. So you, um, uh, all of these, you're like, no, 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 no. Um, all, of, all of this, even pop culture is recognizing, hey, there's some mental health going on. Probably the most, I think the most recognizable and well done kind of pop cultural example to uh, the fact of recognizing um, is that incredible film Inside Out where you have this little, little girl, Riley, and you're like, yeah, it's like, I don't know that I've ever watched a movie where I'm like, I've not been embracing my sadness. Like joy has been at the, the center of my control center for a long time, and, and you're watching this movie. Have you, you should watch Inside Out, um, and, and you're like, oh gosh, I'm, I, I don't have a healthy balance in my inner world. What is this? This is just kind of the culture around us recognizing the importance of emotional health and saying that like if we don't and they're doing it through art right but if, if we don't recognize this and do something about it the consequences will continue to be uh, detrimental um, a couple of things that i think emotional health come from and then we'll kind of uh, dive into a few other things so i just want to kind of say these on the front end and then we'll work out of these through the progression of our morning together. Uh, some people experience emotional health because of legitimate uh, kind of chemical imbalance. Like you, there are people in the room where you're like, if I, if I don't have the help of medication, I can't navigate. Like I have a legitimate chemical imbalance. That is a real life thing. I think you have to understand that. I think you walk through all the consequences of that. That's why doctors are a real gift and I'm not one. And so, you know, it's like, I don't know, talk to someone who is navigating that space and navigating it. Uh, well, but some people are like, hey, I emotionally can't handle um, what is happening in my inner world uh, without that help. It's very much a factor for emotional health. Uh, some people are experiencing emotional unhealth as a result of their family of origin. Um, all of us, whether we want to acknowledge it or not, uh, like none of us will escape the emotional baggage of our past. Like, like none of us. Like some of you come from broken homes. Uh, many of you come from homes with addictions. Uh, all of that, like I was kind of surveying my own kind of background and family. I'm like, oh my God, and my mom's here. She was in the first service, so I wasn't as in depth, but um, she's gone now. So I'm just gonna let loose. Anyways, I'm not, because um, I wanna honor her. So she was great actually. Uh, but our family, uh, the background of our families has all kinds of brokenness and addiction. And it's like, oh man, I'm shaped in certain ways by all of these types of things. For some of you, it's past trauma. Like whether it's little T trauma or big T trauma, that trauma, whether it was when you were a child or whether it was a month ago or whether it was a week ago, affects your emotional response to the world around you. All of us are filtering everything through the ways in which we were formed from birth until now. Like everything I'm saying right now, you're filtering through your own kind of personal worldview and your own lens, right? You're like, uh, Okay, yeah, it's past hurt, so it's family of origin, it's past trauma. Uh, some of you, it could be uh, a religious system or worldview that just said, hey, don't, like, 
don't worry about your emotions. They're not a thing. It's only, you know, we, we, we're intellectual beings that we just think with our head. And, and so maybe that was a religious kind of upbringing or maybe it was a worldview kind of upbringing. And you're just like, no, no, emotions are just kind of a chemical thing that's happening on the inside. It's not real life. And therefore, it's made you into a, what I would say is an emotionally unhealthy individual, one who doesn't quite understand um, what emotions are and the role that they play in our life. And then the final thing I would say, the kind of the final factor, this probably won't surprise anyone, the number one factor that is uh, brought about more emotional unhealth in our cultural moment is technology. The role of technology and social media uh, has been the single greatest factor in producing emotional unhealth in people than anything else across the board. Like you can talk to a psychologist, like just it is pervasive, pervasive. Uh, I was reading um, I was reading one article in The Atlantic uh, by a psychologist, actually my friend had suggested I, I look, um, check her out, but she wrote an article called Have Smartphones Destroyed a Generation? And basically what she said is she um, was like, had been doing like 35 years worth of work and, and in 2012, she was like, you know, emotional health has been kind of an up and down, you know, kind of for the most part, we could track it for the last 35 years or so. And then she said in 2012, one of the things that she noticed is it essentially went from like peaks, like mountain peaks to drastic valleys in the generation that was coming up. And she was like, what in the heck is going on? Like the, like she's looking at her chart. And she's like the emotional health of this generation and even generations, uh, um, in front of them is now drastically changing. And she's like, in a way I've never seen before. And so she was doing kind of all of it. And this is kind of her specialty now, but she's doing all the work underneath it. And, and, and essentially what she found is she was like, oh, 2012 was the first time that over 50% of Americans, she's good Americans, 50% of Americans owned a smartphone. There's a direct correlation with the role of technology and uh, mental health. And w one statement she said, um, she said the arrival, this is straight from the article, she said the arrival of the smartphone has radically changed every aspect of teenagers' lives. She was looking at teens. From the nature of their social interactions to their mental health, these changes have affected young people in every corner of the nation, every type of household. The trend appears among teens, poor and rich, of every ethnic background in cities, suburbs, in small towns where there are cell towers, there are teens living their lives on their smartphones. All of these factors are informing our emotional response to everything around us. We would be foolish to say um, that we approach the world in our interactions with one another and our interactions with God. We'd be foolish to say we do all of that with an unbiased formation from our background. Like all of us would say, that would be unbiased. Now, here's the good news this morning. Cause you're like, man, give me some good news. Like, give me the stats. Like, give me something I can, you know, grasp. Now, here's the good news: that when you become a Christian, when you say yes to Jesus, right? When you say yes to Him, you're just like, yes, I believe in who you are. I believe what you said that you've done. That you've died and risen. Like, I'm gonna commit my life to you. When you become a Christian, all of your emotional dysfunction goes away incredible like when you say yes to Jesus there's an amazing thing that happens that all of your emotional baggage immediately disappears it's unbelievable the, the scripture actually says that if anyone's in Christ you're a new creation for the old is gone and the new has come you are now a new individual and your emotional baggage is no more it doesn't affect you anymore it's an amazing gift who wants that this morning <laughs> it's so not true 
not that the scripture's not true, we're using that in an incorrect way. Uh, the reality is that even, even when you become a Christian, even when you say yes to Jesus, you are carrying your emotional dysfunction now into your Christian discipleship. Like there's not an immediate change when you say yes to Jesus where it's like, okay, now the old is past and the new has come and now I'm a new um, individual who knows how to function healthy, uh, who knows how to function out of a healthy emotional state. It's just not true. Um, if anything, I've met a tremendous amount of people uh, who have an incredible ability to understand the Bible, an incredible ability to memorize scripture, and have an incredible understanding of theological depth, but lack the spiritual maturity to be useful to anyone. A theological um, understanding and, and acumen and understanding all these things, it doesn't alone produce love, alone it produces judgment and contempt. Without emotional health, um, love doesn't exist. And the scriptures say that we could have a lot of these other things, but if love doesn't exist, we have nothing. If you don't hear anything else this morning, I just want you to hear this. You cannot experience um, spiritual maturity without experiencing emotional maturity. You can't be a spiritually mature individual and be emotionally immature. Uh, it's not possible. Now, we'll, we'll look at that in, in depth for a bit, um, and, and we'll kind of flesh that out. Uh, because the Bible, one of the great things about the Bible um, is the Bible has an unbelievably uh, a lot of things to say um, about our emotions, about our kind of emotional health. There, there's one book in the Old Testament that some of you would love to know about. It's called Lamentations. It's four chapters, and it's all about uh, lamenting. It's, it's not a book that you would wake up in the morning and spend your morning devotion on, uh, but, but it, it's literally a collection of Hebrew poems that focuses on grief, pain, and suffering. A whole book. Uh, if you pick up the largest book of the Old Testament, the, the book of Psalms, like half the book of Psalms, right? Like, like Psalms has the emotional range of a 15-year-old girl. Like it's all over the place when you're kind of reading this book. Some of you are like going back to 15. Um, it, it has, the, it, it, it has the, the range of like, when you, even when you read David, who wrote a lot of the, the Psalms, uh, his, his like response before God is like, I love you. I care about you. You're, you're as near to me as anything that I've ever experienced in my life. And then like two like sentences later, he's, he's, where are you? I can't believe you've left me and disappeared. Were you ever there? Like, it's just kind of this kind of, you're reading it. It's like, it's like my journal, you know? You feel like you're like, man, okay, there's something here. There's a way in which I can embrace what I'm, what's, what's happening in my inner world before God and it be okay. Like it's possible. Uh, to do that, I'm, I'm, I have the ability to do that. This is what we see um, all throughout, uh, all throughout the scriptures. H here's what I was taught, both indirectly and uh, directly, both explicitly and implied. Um, I, I was taught that if you read the Bible enough, you'll be a healthy emotional individual. Uh, I was taught that if you pray enough, that your um, emotional trauma will magically disappear. That if I know enough theology um, and understand these types of things, then I will 
be able to navigate as a healthy emotional individual and it just was not true it wasn't true i was experiencing um, because this is what happens when you're unhealthy in an emotional standpoint i was experiencing broken relationships uh, although i could i could we want to talk about the bible we could like we could go at it understand it I, i get it but there was something broken inside of me that was missing um in inside of what was uh happening paul in his letter to the church at Ephesus, listen to how Paul opened. So Paul, in his New Testament letters, he was a former persecutor of the church, became a follower of Christ. He wrote the majority of the New Testament letters. Listen to how he opens his letter to the church at Ephesus. This is Ephesians 1, verse 18. He said this. He said, I pray, talking to them, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, why? So that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So he said, okay, so my prayer for you, the church at Ephesus, is he's saying, I'm praying that your heart will be enlightened. Now, the heart was not uh, considered the intellect, like um, the heart was not the intellectual center of life for them. It was the place where your emotional response lives. He's saying, man, I'm praying that your heart would be enlightened. Your inner world uh, would understand what it means to know Jesus and then see itself out. What I'm learning about my own self is that a lot of the work that I've been doing is, is really the work of understanding myself first before doing um, lots of other things. God is not honored by our refusal to recognize our emotional baggage, by our refusal to deal with the emotional wreckage that we have in our life and that we've been placing in our life. Augustine wrote this. Augustine um, he wrote a book called Confessions in 8400. Uh, this, is, this is what he said about knowing ourselves so that we can know God. He said, how can you draw close to God when you are far from your own self? He prayed, grant, Lord, that I may know myself, that I may know thee. One Dominican writer from the 13th century wrote, uh, no one can know God who does not first know himself. John Calvin, uh, in a book called The Institutes in the 15, 1530, uh, he wrote this. He said, our wisdom... Uh, consists almost entirely of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. But as these are connected together by many ties, it is not easy to determine which of the two proceeds and gives birth to the other. You cannot be spiritually mature if you are not emotionally mature. Here's what I want to do. I want to spend the majority of our time talking about um, something called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Now, there's actually a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality written by a guy named Pete Scazzaro. You can go pick that up. It's an incredible book. Read it, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Uh, there's another book um, called Voice of the Heart by a guy named Chip Dodd. Really great book about how to experience uh, emotional health. Uh, all these things have just been kind of helpful in my journey towards emotional health and in, in understanding that, that process. But um, I, I essentially want to look at what the Bible has to say about these things. Here's what I want to do. I want to go to, uh, there's a group of teachings called the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it is... Uh, I would say, undisputably, the greatest set of teachings that exist uh, in the history of mankind. And the Sermon on the Mount was a set of teachings from Jesus where he has a group of people similar to this, and he's basically gathering together, and this is what he's saying to them. He's essentially talking about what does it mean to be an alternative community? Like, what does it mean to distinctly trust me um, in their moment? That is the Sermon on the Mount. Like he, he, he's going to get into um, all kinds of things and he's going to say, okay, this is, if you're followers of me, this is how you're to live. 
if you're going to be ones who, who trust me. Now, we don't have time to get into all of it, um, but Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, all of these scriptures will be on the screen. You can write them down, um, and you can go back to them. But he starts with something called the Beatitudes, and, and maybe you've heard those before. But listen to Matthew 5, verse 4. It says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who are mournful, for they'll be comforted, that, that are recognizing their sadness. Matthew 5, 11 through 12. He says, you are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Then verse 12, he says, be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven for that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That's Matthew 5, 11 through 12. So he's saying, okay, those who are mourn will be comforted. Those who are embracing that will be comforted. And he says, when you're persecuted, be a people who are responding in gladness and rejoicing. In Matthew 5, through 24, he's going to address sinful anger, uh, anger towards a neighbor that doesn't please God. He says in verse 22, but I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults, which is the result of unhealthy anger, whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. If you are offering your gift on the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in the front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother or sister and then come offer your gift. So he says, if you're not dealing with the unhealthy anger in your heart, this unhealthy emotional response in your heart, do not come and worship me. Go and make it right. Go and deal with your unhealthy anger. Matthew 5, 27 and 29, uh, he's going to address lust. Uh, lust is rarely about sex. It's almost always underneath it um, about uh, emotional unhealth. It's almost always about a desire for something else. It's rarely about what we think it is. Matthew 5, 27 and 29, he says, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. Deal with it, Matthew 5, 43 through 45. Uh, he addresses enemy love, um, love towards enemy, which takes a tremendous amount of emotional health to, to not demand repayment or retribution. Matthew, uh, this is 20, 43 through 45, he says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your neighbors and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven, for he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. See that? He's just pounding away at it. And these teachings, this is what it looks like to be, to be a people living in my way. Matthew 6, 25 and 34. He's going to address anxiety and worry. I think that anxiety and worry is the, is the number one kind of just base level feeling that a lot of people have in, in our culture. A lot of people in church racked with anxiety. Racked. It, it, for, if you're a college student, it is for college students. It's like the number one thing. That's what Jesus says. He's going to address it uh, in verse 25 of 6, 25 through 34. He says, therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life. Don't experience anxiety. Um, what you'll eat or what you'll drink or about your body or what you'll wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns that your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment in his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes or observe how the wildflowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes, clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you? You of little faith. So don't worry. 
what we will eat or what we will drink or what we will wear. For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided to you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So over and over and over again, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is, is, is saying to them, both directly and indirectly, in order to be one that is following my way, in order to, to be one that is um, embracing the new life that I've given you through my life, death, and resurrection, you have to have a type of emotional health to, to be able to, this is, this is what I'm calling you to do, that these are given to us as good things. Chip Dodd says this about emotions and feelings. He said, they, um, they help us name what we are experiencing in our hearts. He says, feelings bring us uh, to the confession of how, we are wonderfully, of how wonderfully frightening it is to live in the mystery of being with God and others. Feelings ultimately are tools that we've been given to live fully in a tragic place where wonder and tragedy, great loves and great losses intermingle. But feeling our feelings allow us to keep heart in the struggle of living fully, loving deeply, and leading well uh, a life worth living for ourselves and for others. Feelings are not impulses that need to be controlled. They are tools that we need to learn how to use well so that we, not, so that we do not behave impulsively and act without the ability to take responsibility. So God has given us our emotional kind of inner world to work alongside of our intellectual side, right, so that we can experience a type of spiritual maturity that God is calling us into, that he wants us to have to be these type of people. Um, here's what I want to do. I want to just kind of walk you through what God's taught me over kind of just um, what he's kind of just taught me in, in moving in this process. I, I'm, I'm not uh, by default an emotional individual, right? So I'm not, I'm like, like, I didn't grow up as one who's like just in my feelings. And that, that's not what I'm calling you to this morning. I'm not asking you to leave. And you're like, what was this morning about? And you're like, the pastor just calls me to be in my feelings all day long. And, and so I'm just gonna be in my feelings with you right now. That's not what, I, that's not what I'm calling you to. Uh, I am calling to emotional help, uh, but it's not a default for me. Um, that it is, is not something that, I, that comes natural to me. It's something that I've been um, that God's been teaching me and growing me in, in, in me as I've been kind of walking through some of these things. So let me, let me walk you through this process for me, uh, what, I'm, what I'm learning about spiritual health or spiritual emotional health in my own journey. Uh, I'm learning to name my emotional response, to name my emotional response. What does that mean? Uh, there's a tremendous amount of power in naming things, like in naming things and saying, I am angry. Why am I angry? I am sad. I am disappointed. I'm experiencing guilt. I'm experiencing shame. Like there's a tremendous amount of, of power in, in, in naming our emotions, naming what we're feeling in that moment. Uh, my family and I are, um, uh, are going through the hardest journey of our entire life right now. Like right I saw the, so we lay out our, we lay out our sermon stuff like, you know, months, whatever, in advance, you know, in advance. And I, I saw this week and I was like, ah, oh, crap. I was like, we're talking emotional health. And, and we are, without getting into the details of everything, but um, we're in the hardest season of our entire life. And uh, we were in Maine this past week, and, and so we were in New York, Maine, which has a, uh, there's like, like surfer culture. Is in, I didn't know Maine had like, 
it's a weird thing. Like the, I don't if anyways. All right. So it's like vans and dogs and kids everywhere. Anyway. So, um, so they're on the beach. I get so distracted. So we're there on the beach. This is my emotional and health working itself out right in front of you. Cause I, we're talking about emotions. You see what I'm doing here? All right. So I'm deflecting. I'm going to get back online. All right. So we're here. Um, we're on the beach. And, and so the waves are just kind of coming in and I just kind of hit. And I'm like, dude, man, grief just hits you like a wave, like just like a freaking wave out of nowhere. And, it, and, it's, and it's been hitting me out of nowhere all the time right now. Here's what old, emotionally unhealthy, out of touch with God, old Brian would have done. And this is what one um, mentor kind of coach told me that, that we do a lot in Christian circles is I would have experienced the sadness that I'm experiencing now. And instead of naming it and allowing it to pass through me, I would have done what he, he calls uh, baptizing. I would have baptized my emotion. So when I would have had that feeling come upon me, I would have been like, it would have hit me. And, and instead of allowing it to pass through me, instead of allowing to experience all that's in me, I would have been like, my old self would have been, yeah, but man, the Bible says God is good. And he's kind, and, and we have a future inheritance. And so I, I'm going to look to the future and that future inheritance, and I'm going to trust God. And I would have taken that thing that God had given me to embrace my humanity, um, to move me into a closer relationship with him, to allow me to, to, to grow in my maturity and in, in relationship with him, and I would have stuffed it away using the Bible. I would have baptized it. And so what I've been learning in the last few years is to name it and allow it to, to pass through and, and bring it before God. I'm recognizing the fact that God, that God can handle my grief, that he can handle my anger, he can handle my, my, my guilt, my shame, my gladness. He can handle all of it. I don't need to hide it from him. I don't need to like be fearful of him. We know that from the scriptures. Like I, like I can just name it before him. Allow it to pass through. I'm journaling. I'm, I'm writing and I'm talking to people. This is what I'm learning. I'm learning to name my emotional response. The second thing um, that I'm doing is I'm learning to identify whether my emotional response is leading me closer into conformity to Jesus or away from conformity to Jesus. So is that anger that I have in that moment and how I'm viewing that anger, is it moving, am I using it to move me closer into conformity to God? Where I'm like, oh man, my, that anger response that I had towards my kids when I came in the door, because I'm tired and exhausted and there's like, you know, they're going at it about the Nintendo Switch, right? And I'm, I'm, I'm like in a moment, like this moment of like quickness with them. Am I taking that anger and recognizing and saying, okay, that's not loving my family well. It's not mimicking Christ to my kids well. Am I, am I seeing that anger and, and recognize, okay, I need to move closer into conformity with Jesus because the Bible says that's wrong. It's not spiritual maturity. It's not love. So I'm, I'm recognizing whether it's leading me to conformity or moving away. Paul says, Romans chapter 12, 2, and we've, we've talked about this verse before, the power of this verse, but he says, um, don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed 
by the renewing of your mind, so that what? So that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Is it leading me to conformity to Christ or away from Christ? The third thing that I'm learning is I'm learning to find the path forward. I'm learning to find the path forward. A couple of thoughts here in finding the path forward towards emotional health. Um, the, here's the first thing that I've found that's been super necessary as I'm pursuing emotional health. Uh, in, in this just base level, it's, uh, and David talked a little bit about it last week, but it's essentially silence and solitude with Jesus. Like I, I am finding when I'm working into the normal rhythm of my day, moments, it have to be long moments, but moments where I'm, I'm, I'm practicing silence and solitude with Jesus has been one of the um, best kind of practices and, and, and habits that I've placed in my life that are helped me work towards emotional health. Now, the reality of that is like, you're like how does that even work? I was talking to the people and, uh, and I was like, I've, you know, I was like, I've been tr- uh, practicing. If you knew me, you would know how ridiculous this sounds. So granted, that's my relationship with this person. But I was like, I was like, yeah, I've been practicing like silent, you know, silent prayer a lot. And they were like, because I just talk a lot. And they, they said, how does that even work? Silent prayer, what the heck is that? I was like, I just, I mean, I just sit. I just sit. Um, and I just, I'm pr- just present with God in that moment. And I've got Bible reading, I have a journey, I got that part of my process. But, but it's like, I'm just sitting in silence and solitude with Jesus. And, and for some of you, um, almost like if you don't get a rhythm in your life, like some of you, you wake up, uh, the first thing that you do is you check your phone and it immediately sends you into an emotional spiral. Immediately. Every morning. Right? Like every and it's like you're like already comparing yourself. You're already uh, got a sense of anxiety about the world around you. And so I've just kind of recognized and realized like, okay, I've got to get some silence and solitude. If, if Jesus all throughout the scriptures did it, then I need to do it. If he's embracing this type of life, then I need to embrace it. I've just kind of figured that rhythm out. There's a role of Sabbath that we have embraced in my life that emotionally keeps me um, a stable individual. Uh, the second thing, um, well, let me read this. So uh, Eugene Peterson, in his translation of the Bible, he wrote a, um, a, a paraphrase of the Bible called The Message. Uh, listen to what he says. This is Matthew um, 6.6. 6. I think that says 8.6. Can you throw that up there? Oh, yeah, there it is. That's wrong. I put that in wrong. I meant to fix it last time, but I didn't. All right, so here we go. But you'll get the grasp. This is the grasp of it. And Eugene Pearson says this in the message. He says, here's what I want you to do. He's talking about prayer and getting away. Here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so that you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God, and you will begin to sense his grace. It's a silence and solitude not role-playing before God, just being honestly who I am before him. The second thing that I'm finding in uh, my journey of finding the way forward is uh, the essentially finding the role of trusted, healthy community. Um, this includes a counselor. This includes someone who understands the, the like, nature of our wiring as, as people made in the image of God, before God. Um, I'm, I'm grasping that, right? We've said this before, but... Um, if you have a community of people around you and you, you are only partially revealing yourself to people around you, you're not, you're not actually known at all. Like to partially reveal yourself is to not be known at all. It's to hold back. 
And so a lot of what I'm learning about emotional health, about growing in spiritual emotional health is, is having some people. I'm just like, dude, I'm angry. I'm an eight on the Enneagram. So I'm, I'm base level angry all the time. That's like just my level, just my, my emotional range, right? Uh, I think my whole, my wife and my daughter are both on the, that's a anger scale. Anyways, um, that's base level. And I need a community, I need some close people that I'm just like, man, I'm just angry, dude. Disappointed. And I need people to, to either remind me of God's faithfulness and kindness towards me, right? People just kind of hear me out. We, we need that with one another. If we're going to be in an alternative community and, and not be people defined by rage, anxiety, and fear, we're going to have to be people who trust one another enough to reveal ourselves to one another and, and do the work to do that, get in proximity to one another. I'm, I'm learning um, the value of that. Uh, Paul, Paul, Galatians 6, 2 um, says this. He says, carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Proverbs nineteen twenty. Listen to counsel and receive instruction so that you may be wise later in life. Solomon in Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 12. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their efforts. For if either falls, his companion can lift him up, but pity the one who falls without another to lift him up. Proverbs twenty seven seventeen, Iron sharpens iron and one person sharpens another. James 5, 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is a very powerful in its effect. It's a role of healthy community. We see the Bible all, all throughout the Bible talking about it. The third thing that I'm learning about moving the path forward, moving, finding a path forward, is this um, truth that I, I need the Bible. Like, I need biblical truth to confront my emotional response to life around me. Like, like I need the Sermon on the Mount to say to me, when you are living this way, it's displeasing to God. I need it. Regardless of what I'm feeling in my inner world, because I could feel justified, all kinds of things, I need the scriptures to confront me. I, I need, you, you know what I've needed this last week? This last like month, do you know what I've, I've needed? I've needed the scriptures to say, God is your shepherd and you shall not want. That he prepares a table for you in front of your enemies. That he leads you to still waters and good places. I need that. Like I need it. Because my emotional interior world isn't, saying that. I need it. I need the biblical truth of the scriptures. Hebrews 4, 12 and 13 says, for the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword. I mean, it's getting in there. It says, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, it is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him who must be given an account. Need to know the scriptures, understand these things. Uh, one of the things that I've just been learning a lot is that my journey towards uh, spiritual, emotional health will last a lifetime. Like the, the scriptures literally say about our life that creation is groaning, <laughs> like, that, that it's groaning. 
It says that it's groaning in labor pains. That, that we and the creation is awaiting the redemption of our bodies. Redemption of our body, like holistic bodies. Waiting. That's what I'm learning. The creation groans. Final thing here. Um, final thing that I'm learning about moving towards emotional health in my own life is I'm learning that Jesus understands and intercedes. Jesus understands and intercedes. Um, Jesus was a fully emotional individual. If you read the scriptures, you see it. Uh, we see that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, on the way to uh, his death, his crucifixion, resurrection, and he's lamenting over Jerusalem. He's upset over Jerusalem. We, we see in the scriptures that he's weeping over his friend Lazarus. He's literally shedding tears over Lazarus. We see another section of scripture where he's turning over tables. Like he's, the scripture is like terrifying because it, um, it says that Jesus is sitting there and he's looking at what's happening inside of the temple, which they were taking advantage of the marginalized and, and nothing fires up God more than taking advantage of the marginalized. And, and, and it says that Jesus was sitting there um, tying a whip together which is the most terrifying image of, in my entire life. Like he's just calmly sitting there making a whip to go in. And he says, he goes in, he turns over the tables and he's, he's throwing them out of his house. Um, in the garden on his way to the crucifixion, it says what? He literally, blood was coming out of his pores. He had so much anxiety that was coming out of his pores. And, and I'm learning, this is what I'm learning. I'm learning that Jesus understands that he gets, he gets it. Uh, writer of Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, and I'll pray for us. The writer says this, therefore, since we have a great high priest, talking about Jesus, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Let's hold fast to this truth, this belief that we have, this way of Jesus, verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, thank God, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, verse 16, therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. The scriptures tell us that even when we can't articulate the, 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 what's happening in our inner world, that Jesus is interceding on our behalf, that we have a high priest that says, I understand. Your grief, I understand. Sadness, I understand. Your gladness, I understand. Your hurt, I understand. I understand it. Now, he did it in what? Perfection. He didn't sin out of his emotional response like we do, but in perfection, he lived. And he says, I understand. And so maybe you're here this morning, you're like, gosh, man, I am just traditionally been one that's like very stoic. I'm very just kind of in my, you know, kind of intellectual pursuit. I kind of got my thing lined up, very analytical. And, and maybe this morning you're like, I didn't, maybe I need to like check into this emotional thing. I would say, yeah, you, you probably should. Maybe I should just kind of engage. What, what do I have? How am I wired? Maybe you're here this morning. You're like, man, I know God's been calling me to change some things. I'm experiencing kind of my own emotional crisis, and I've just been refusing to deal with it. 
I'm just stuffing that thing down so deep. I'm just like, I'm going to put that thing away and, and put it up later and, and just never get to it. Maybe this morning you're like, I need to, I need to talk to some people. I need to f- talk to a trusted friend. I need to just get some, I need to get some, I need to find some help. Maybe you're here this morning and, and just need to trust Jesus as Lord, as Savior. Experience the new life that comes in him.